0: Late last year, New Zealand raised its terror alert from very low to low, and the Prime Minister, John Key, warned that the terrorist group Islamic State was beginning to have an influence in this country through its use of social media to encourage people to travel to Syria or Iraq to fight or to carry out attacks here. But this Radio New Zealand Insight programme asks, nearly six months on, how real is that threat?
1: A typical suburban shopping mall in New Zealand, but should people here feel uneasy? The director of the Security Intelligence Service, Rebecca Kitteridge, says people should be relaxed about visiting their local supermarket or mall. But Ms Kitteridge is more worried now about the potential of a terrorist attack here
0: than when she first started her job just 11 months ago. I think it's the first time that we've seen um, a, a terrorist organisation actually actively trying to recruit people to commit attacks internationally and that is the difference from what we see now to what we have seen before. So there is an active effort to to uh, recruit anybody who might be susceptible to this kind of propaganda to to get and to give them information on how to commit attacks too.
1: I'm
0: Brent Edwards
1: and this insight looks at how serious the terrorist threat is and if New Zealand's response is appropriate and how do Muslim communities feel about the focus on them. I spoke to Rebecca Kitteridge at the SIS headquarters in Wellington. She had with her copies of the Islamic State magazine, Dabiq.
0: When you look at these these magazines, they there's there are several of them. Dabiq is the is from the so-called Islamic State and, and another one is called Inspired by Al Qaeda. They are promulgated through social media. Um, they're very slick productions, particularly Dabiq, and they are urging urging people in that targeted at people in the West and they're urging them to commit attacks in their countries and also to come to uh, to fight with IS in the Middle East. And they have very disturbing images in them, including in this latest, the latest edition, there is a, a, a really horrible um, article showing two children who are carrying guns, and one of whom has clearly just executed somebody whose dead body is lying at the bottom of the page, and the other one, a boy who looks to me to be maybe 9 or 10, who has a gun in his hand, and there is a a prisoner on his knees in front of him who's about to be executed, and this magazine is um, glorifying these children and saying that they are going to be the lions of tomorrow.
1: Islamic State's use of social media is being credited with giving the organisation a wide reach into Western nations. Rebecca
0: Kidderidge says not everyone, though, is attracted to its message. In my view, the people who are susceptible are not. not, They've always got some... Factors about their personalities that, are, that mean that they are susceptible to this sort of thing. It's not your average person in the street.
1: Young Muslims say they're not aware of Islamic State's social media campaign gaining any traction in New Zealand. Teba Khan is the chief executive of the Changemakers Refugees Forum in Wellington.
2: I know for a fact that through my work um, and through the work that I do with different organisations within the Muslim community... We are not aware of any such social media interaction that can be seen as threatening or concerning. And I also know that the few, the very, very few platforms that do exist in terms of social media interaction online for Kiwi Muslims, um, they're, you know, they're well monitored, they're administered, um, and there are people who make sure that they engage people in a holistic and a positive way around dialogue to see and engage them and things that might seem like they are varying towards the extreme.
1: The Auckland blogger Latifa Dowd agrees.
3: No, I actually, I haven't seen anything personally. I don't, no, I don't think so. Um, no
1: one talks, for instance, about their magazine, De Fique, that they use as a... Uh,
3: not that I've heard, actually, to be honest.
1: In February, the Prime Minister, John Key, made a ministerial statement to Parliament in which he announced the government had decided to send troops to help train the Iraqi army in its fight against Islamic State. Mr Key justified the deployment by arguing New Zealanders were at risk from terrorist attacks, not just while they travel overseas, but at home as well.
4: Speaker, last November I told
5: New Zealanders ISIL had been successful in recruiting New Zealanders to the cause.
1: Our government agencies have a watch list of between 35 and 40 people of concern in the foreign fighter context, and that remains the case. Unfortunately, an additional group requiring further investigation is growing in number.
5: We have strengthened the ability of our intelligence agencies to deal with this, and they are taking steps to add to their resources. We cannot be complacent, as events in Sydney and Paris and Ottawa have underscored.
1: Mr Key also referred to Islamic State's brutality as he taunted opposition parties over their reluctance to support sending troops to Iraq.
4: I will not... To death when kids execute soldiers, when people are out there being beheaded. I'm sorry, but this is the time to stand up and be counted. Get some guts and join the right side.
1: But has Mr. Key exaggerated the risk New Zealanders face from potential terrorist attacks to justify the Iraq deployment and giving the SIS greater spying powers? The Labor Party's foreign affairs spokesperson, David Shearer. Think so. No doubt the, the motivation for us being in Iraq is because the US and Australia have said we want New Zealand to be there. And I can't help but thinking that the so-called threat to New Zealand has been talked up in order to try and provide the justification for that. The sending of troops to Iraq, um, obviously it's a dangerous place for those troops to be based, but it also has um, some repercussions for us in New Zealand as well. It makes us part of a, of a, of a different alliance. Uh, that could actually bring a greater threat to New Zealand and more pressure on our, on our Muslim community uh, in New Zealand. And I'm not sure that that has been taken into account nearly enough in comparison to the so-called benefits that we might derive from uh, having our troops in Iraq. Professor Ramesh Tucker from the Australian National University in Canberra believes governments throughout the Western world are playing politics with the threat of terrorism.
5: It's an exaggerated threat. It has allowed some governments to manipulate public opinion of fear in order to justify things, it has allowed conservative political parties in Western societies to differentiate themselves from their political opponents for being soft on terrorism. Uh, In terms of ordinary violent crime, ordinary meaning non-political, non-terrorist crime, uh, road safety, uh, the danger of doing various things, uh, it's way below when you look at the actual magnitude of the threat.
1: Najibala Lafray is a senior politics lecturer at Otago University and a former foreign minister of Afghanistan. He also thinks the threat has been
4: overblown, until now at least. Before Prime Minister's decision to deploy troops to Iraq, I believe there was no threat whatsoever. Because uh, we are lucky to be located in this part of the world and with good reputation that New Zealand has. And I think the credit goes to some extent to Helen Clark for her courageous decision not to participate in uh, George Bush's war. So all these give recognition of New Zealand as an independent Western country not following the footsteps of United States and other big powers. Hopefully this latest decision would not have much impact, but still um, it makes me worry a bit because you know, that reputation is damaged now.
1: While New Zealand's threat level only moved from very low to low late last year, that has prompted tightened security at Parliament, particularly since the attack on Canada's Parliament in Ottawa. The SIS director, Rebecca Kitteridge, says despite that there's no need for people to worry. And she says while the risk has grown, she's been careful not to make it seem worse than it
0: actually is. I feel I can put my hand on my heart and say that we haven't been over, kind of, uh, Dramatising the situation in New Zealand. Um, in fact, one of the uh, there was a cartoon that I saw when the national threat level was raised, which said that it had gone from na to ye na. I mean, it's you know, I, I think it's proportionate, um, and it is the threat level is actually assessed by an independent group of a multi agency group, um, and it there's a methodology that goes with it, which is I think um, means that it is free from. Interference or, or being kind of massaged. I, I think I've been pretty careful throughout not to try to exaggerate the issue in New Zealand. I've always said very consistently throughout that it is a very small group of people. Um, having said that, that very small group has increased in number over the, even the period of time that I have been in this job. But we're still within the 30 to 40 range um, on what's called the watch list. So just who is on the watch list? There's no one particular... Um, group. Um, So some born in New Zealand, some who have been come from other countries to New Zealand, wide range of ethnicities, wide range of countries that they've come from.
1: But they are Muslim and Rebecca Kitteridge acknowledges that can create problems for the vast majority
0: of Muslims who don't have extremist views. I can see that there is a real issue of creating a situation where there's a kind of blame mentality on the Muslim community, and I just want to say that from my point of view, I don't see that at all. You are talking about propaganda that is coming from a group that clothes itself in Islamic rhetoric. No doubt about that. It is an Islamist, you know, extremist organisation, um, and that's how it portrays itself. Now, there would be many moderate Muslims who would say that that is not Islam from their point of view, and so when I talk about Islamic State, I always kind of do it in inverted commas because I don't think they are a state and I don't think they're Islamic either.
1: Taybuk Khan agrees. I know the Islamic State is.
2: Uh, unfortunately, has got Islamic in their title. Uh, But, uh, you know, we are constantly seeing people who are being drawn to this particular cause, if it is that, um, who are not um, really looking at the faith in its entirety. And I think most of the Muslim leaders have come out and said that. Uh, they have clearly said that, look, um, what the Islamic State um, or ISIS represents isn't what the Islamic faith is, um, and what's happening is kind of impacting us as communities as much as anybody else. And in fact, I mean, if you look at it, there are a lot more Muslims who are who are being unfortunately butchered at the hands of ISIS, you know. So, so we are extremely concerned about those who might... Um, be likely to be affected by this recruitment process, um, and and like I said, I think we want to get involved because who who better to be involved in the process of changing things than the Muslim community themselves. Allah.
1: But Taber Khan says the Muslim community does feel threatened by the government's terror response.
2: Muslims are the centre point target of everything around um, war on terror uh, and post 9/11, uh, you know, policies and um, yeah. So so absolutely and certainly since uh, since the legislation got passed last year, uh, without the involvement of the Muslim community in terms of you know, our concerns and so forth, certainly people would feel a lot more under siege because they would feel unheard and they would feel like, well, you're bringing in laws, you're bringing in policies, you're telling me that a group of people have been identified who are potentially Muslims but I don't know them and, you know, I'm offering as a leader of the community... communities to, you know, be able to support in terms of how we, you know, bring a more positive outcome, but that's also not happening. So definitely, I think, feeling under siege is um, a predominant feeling within the community.
1: The blogger Latifa Dowd says it's left New Zealand Muslims feeling misunderstood.
3: We're here because we actually like it here, and a lot of them, like, not all Kiwi Muslims are immigrants, you know. A lot of us were born here, and... um, Yeah, I just think that, you know, we're here to stay and this is our home and if we want to be part of the solution, and I don't think that the solution is to make us feel like we're the target.
1: Professor Tucker, the Australian academic, says governments have to approach the matter carefully.
5: How do we avoid uh, instilling fear? in particular groups, in this case obviously the Islamic community, that they are being unfairly targeted, that the police and intelligence services are abusing the powers they have been given in order to malign and to harass and to make life uncomfortable for them. I think that's a legitimate cause of concern. We need to make sure that doesn't happen, and that goes back to oversight and accountability for that.
1: Rebecca Kitteridge says she's been very careful not to make the lives of ordinary Muslims in New Zealand any more difficult.
0: We have somewhere between forty and sixty thousand Muslims in New Zealand who are quietly going about their lives, productively contributing to our society, making our country a richer place, um, and um, bringing to this country, you know, many wonderful things. And so, I, I, you know, the fact that there is a very tiny group. Who, who might be categorised as, as Muslim? Who are I mean, I think the most important thing to think about with these people is not what is their religion, but what are they doing? What is their you know what behaviours are they exhibiting? That means that they are that they may be a terrorist um, risk to this country. But Muslims
1: are being subjected to greater scrutiny, and Ms. Kitteridge warns a small number of the 30
0: to 40 people on the SIS watch list are
1: thinking about committing terrorist attacks here.
0: I'm not interested in their religion and I'm only interested in how they behave and the sort of rhetoric that they are espousing and the kinds of things that they are, um, activities that they seem to be you know, undertaking. So is it
1: activity or, or is it mainly rhetoric that brings these people to your attention?
0: It's both. It's both. So there is, the, on that watch list there are people who, there's a range of different kind of reasons why people may be of, um, of concern to us. It may be that they are... Um, that they are encouraging or inciting others. It could be that they are providing funding or they're facilitating travel for, for people who want to travel to um, Syria or to join Islamic State. Um, it could be that they are um, actively thinking about doing something within New Zealand, and we have those as well. The former Green Party MP Keith Locke is critical of the SIS's approach.
1: The SIS spied on him for years and he says it tends to monitor people who oppose the views of the government.
5: People being spied upon today might include those critical of such things as Saudi Arabia and Saudi Arabia bombing Yemen, uh, when New Zealand, it seems, actually supports uh, American policy of supporting that bombing. Uh, so it's not a question of the SIS operating as an agency to spy on anti-democratic people, In most cases, it's the very opposite, the SIS spying on critics of government policy when the government is supporting oppressive regimes.
3: The
1: blogger Latifa Dowd has similar fears.
3: If you hold an opinion that's different to the government, does that mean that I'm extreme? You know, like, there's not that much... The understanding about... What it actually means is actually really vague and I think a lot of people are actually really nervous that anything they say can be misconstrued and, you know, they'll become the target even though they, they haven't even done anything wrong.
1: One young Muslim woman who wishes to remain anonymous says she was approached by the SIS while a student leader and asked to spy on fellow Muslims. It made her feel uncomfortable. Rebecca Kitteridge says the SIS is careful about how it approaches people.
0: In terms of actually knocking on doors, I mean, we, we engage with the public all the time. Um, I think the public, when they when they meet people who work for the service, because we're often open about who we are and what we're, what we're doing, are surprised by the people that they meet because they find that it's um, the sort of stereotype of a, you know, kind of middle-aged male spy um, is not what they see at all. It could be a young woman or it could be... Uh, you know, an Asian man, or it could be a, you know, I mean, there's the people who work in, in this service come from a huge range of backgrounds, and uh, and that's that's a good thing because we ought to reflect the community that we serve. So um, I, I don't think that most people find it a threatening kind of situation when the service comes to speak to them at all. Tayba Khan says she knows of
1: people who have been approached by the SIS.
2: Having uh, lived overseas now and and seeing how these things pan out in two very different continents, it's very interesting that New Zealand Muslims. Respond to this situation in a very uh, modest and humble way, you know, if that's the best way to describe it. Uh, The people I do know, you know, uh, I immediately got, wow, were you, were you, were you angry? Were you intimidated? You know, did you think it was inappropriate? And and the very first thing, uh, almost always, that they say to me is, actually, they were pretty nice. They were pretty nice about how they approached us, Um, and I, you know. Uh, having had experience of these issues overseas, uh, was quite surprised that that's the response of the Muslims in New Zealand. So, you know, whatever the SIS is doing in terms of how it's approaching um, the Muslim community here, they're obviously doing it in a very polite way. Um, And certainly I don't know of anyone that feels intimidated by their approach as yet, whether that changes who knows.
1: The SIS has been given greater powers to monitor people, including being able to do urgent video surveillance without a warrant. Those changes were rushed through Parliament late last year, prompting widespread concern from Muslims who felt they were not consulted over powers they say are directly aimed at them. Rebecca Kitteridge says the new powers, plus extra money for the SIS to expand its activities, have
0: helped. We're certainly glad to have those additional powers and um, uh, and we will be reporting from time to time on um, the extent to which we have used them. Um, so, it's, I mean, it's it's very helpful to have them for urgent situations, yeah.
1: Have there been many urgent situations? Well,
0: I'm go- well yeah. we, we've got an obligation to report um, uh, every six months, and so we will do that at the point where I'll, I'll, there will be a public reporting on the incidents, um, incidences of, of using those. Um, powers at that point, so I won't comment on it in the meantime. But
1: will those new powers and sending troops to Iraq make New Zealanders safer as they go about their daily business? One security contractor, who also wants to remain anonymous, believes it's only a matter of time before there is a terrorist incident in this country, and he's appalled by security at public venues, particularly airports. He says the main threat will come from a so-called lone wolf attack not from some planned and coordinated terrorist plot. No one can discount an incident of that nature, including Otago University
4: lecturer Najibala Lafray. ISIS would not have a fertile ground in New Zealand the same way that they have in some other countries, but still if they focus... We cannot rule out the possibility of one isolated individual either um, because of something, you know, that happens, like that uh, if some, that the person had not filmed that incident, it would have gone unnoticed, those two uh, young Muslims might have taken some grudge. So that kind of incident, isolated but nonetheless, uh, affecting someone and then ISIS trying to find it and um, influence, so that Uh, possibility. Hopefully that's not there but as I said we cannot rule that out. Yet even the risk of that piles into insignificance compared
1: with the other threats people face. Ramesh Tucker from the Australian National University says people have to keep the threat in perspective.
5: Think of the attention that was given to the terrorist attack on Mumbai now of course it was a serious incident but as I said in terms of people who are killed on the roads in India In India, it is is pedestrians and cyclists who are killed much more than people in in the cars. Uh, Or any other way you look at it. In terms of the real threats to people's safety and security, terrorism should rank way down in the scale. And the distribution of government attention and resources to combating the different threats to our security should be proportionate to the scale. But in fact, the word terrorism shoots up the priority and commands resources which is diverted uh, from other uh, sectors. So you take money away from a health sector and put it into this, more people are going to be killed as a result of that than anything else.
1: Perhaps a community which might feel most at risk based on attacks in other Western nations is the Jewish community. A community spokesperson, David Cummon, says Jews do face greater threats now and steps have been taken to keep the community safe. In the end, the surveillance of the SIS, backed up by the police, and the security measures taken to counter any terrorist threat, make up only a small part of the response needed to keep New Zealand safe and peaceful. <laughs> At Parliament, Muslims are officially welcome to be part of the Wellington Abrahamic Council of Jews, Christians and Muslims. It's a symbolic and practical recognition that the three religions have as much in common that binds them together, as differences which divide them. The chief executive of the Federation of Islamic Associations, Sultan Yusuf, is the council's Muslim co-chair.
6: accepted it formally is uh, delightful news for us. Uh, we, as, you, as Dave has uh, told, three of us, three groups working together for the common good, uh, whatever happens outside, we do not want to bring it here. Uh, in New Zealand, and uh, we have discussions, and uh, where appropriate, take necessary steps or actions uh, to ensure that you know we maintain our peace and tranquility here in New Zealand.
1: See, at the moment, the Muslim community perhaps feels under some stress, given the focus on, you know, the Islamic
6: state and what that might mean. is that Well, that can be happening anywhere if you if you, if you ask me. But what I feel personally in New Zealand is that we are feeling much more secure and uh, and 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 uh, and, and uh, affirmed by the uh, uh, other communities here. So. We are different, I think.
1: Dave Moskowitz is the Jewish co-chair of the council and dismisses fears about Muslim extremism. You know, there are extremists in all of our
7: religions and there are also extremists outside of our religions. There are atheist extremists who are extremists for for a, a wide variety of different causes. For us, the important thing is to work together in a positive way that the vast number of adherents of our religions want the same things that we do, they want a peaceful world, they believe uh, that, that love will see us through, they believe in, in compassion and in the golden rule that Sultan referred to earlier, the vast majority of people in our religions are completely aligned with those things, and yet it's the extremists uh, that take up most of the attention uh, in the media. It's up to each of us individually to work to counteract that and for ourselves as well as other adherents of our religions as well as adherents of other religions to show that we can work together in a very positive, uh, peaceful and productive way.
1: The Attorney-General, Chris Finlayson, who also happens to be the Minister in charge of the SIS and the Government Communications Security Bureau, hosted the event.
5: I think it's very important work. I was in Washington earlier this year at the White House uh, Symposium on countering violent extremism and this is exactly the sort of thing they were saying, commentators and speakers were saying should be going on reach out to one another don't try and gloss over differences as Paul Morris said, differences of theology of course there are differences but um, there's a lot that unites people as well uh, and it's good to keep talking
1: Mr Moskovitz says it's important that different religious communities try to get on with one another
7: I am welcome whenever I go down to the mosque I'm welcome with open arms. And Sultan and my many Muslim friends know that they're welcome to come to the synagogue anytime. And we will welcome them as well. And we know that we're also welcome to go to churches and uh, and to, and, and to view what's happening there and engage in conversation with our Christian friends. Doing this is a personal thing that everyone has to do, take responsibility for themselves. It's not something we can leave to other people to do. If we want to build that world where we have peaceful relationships with each other, then each of us individually and collectively need to engage in those peaceful relationships.
6: And what we are trying to create here, it can be a catalyst for the rest of New Zealand and indeed for the rest of the world. We can be the beacon of peace and happiness and tranquility.
1: Certainly that's also the wish of the SIS director, Rebecca Kitteridge. But she says her job is to worry about the unthinkable so ordinary New Zealanders don't have to worry when they visit the shopping mall. To do that, the SIS will continue to monitor those people it believes pose a risk. I'm Brent Edwards and that's Insight for this week. If you would like to share any thoughts, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz. Our Twitter handle is rnzinsight. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Theresa Cowie, with technical production by Dan Bevan.